before Hugh comes to speak, if you've got a Bible, uh, why don't you turn to Matthew 13, Matthew chapter 13, and Jesus is telling in this passage a number of parables or stories with, uh, to illustrate a spiritual lesson of his, of, often. And so we're going to read from verse 24, and Jesus says this, Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it to my barn. Go down to verse 36. As the crowd left, his disciples came to him and said, Lord, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of his Father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. May God have his blessing to his word. Hugh, let's welcome Hugh as he comes this morning to share with us. Please don't put the PowerPoint up just yet, but have it ready. That would be great. Um, we start the clock? If you don't mind. Great, it's not up. Great. Okay. <laughs> right. <clears throat> well, uh, talking about time on a the clock, there, we're talking about harvest, and harvest involves getting time right, would you agree? The right time to sow the seed, the right time perhaps to put fertilizer on, and when to reap it, etc. With regard to time, we, there are two most important times. Um, the first is right, the time right now, what I've got to do today. Don't want to miss an appointment. Uh, and the second is what's coming up that I need to be ready for. Would you agree? They're the two most as- important aspects of time as I see it. Well, <clears throat> you might notice next weekend if you're here that I'm not here and Liz and our family are not here. <clears throat> because we've got rather an important engagement coming up. Uh, So you can put the first slide on. That's my little baby. I'm joking. Well, it it was my baby. But uh, that's that's Liam, and that's our last son's wedding day. At last. Got the last one out there. (laughs) So Liam and Estriana are getting wed next Saturday. Which does remind me of a horrific and at the same time dead funny story <laughs> that actually happened. And, the per- and I know it happened because the person it happened to told us in one 
Leaders Day. And uh, what that was, was he was he's a vicar, a minister like David, and, uh, and he'd got a, a wedding to perform. <clears throat> but he got the date wrong. It makes me chuckle because, not because, you know, I wish any harm on him, uh, but it's just so outrageous, you can't help but laugh. And, and he, thought it was, he thought it was one week, but it was, he thought it was one weekend, but it was the weekend before, and he didn't turn up for the wedding. Nightmare to me. I imagine my nightmare is coming here one day, and all of a sudden David says, you're on, Hugh. What? I, well, I haven't got anything to say. <laughs> That's my nightmare. Uh, but anyway, you know, and um, <clears throat> so timing, this parable of Jesus is all about, well, it's not all about, but it has timing in it. And there are two aspects to it. And I, this does remind me, Steve Oaten there and Mary, Steve made an astute observation about my talks. And that is, it's all about twos. You root everything around twos, which I never realized. Well, here's a load of twos. I don't know if you remember you saying that, Steve, but you actually did. Anyway, and I thought to myself, well, this proves Steve is, is right, you know. Um, and and um, so um, there are, you can go off from that one. You don't have to keep looking at that. Uh, yeah, the two harvests. And uh, there's, in this story that David read for us, this parable of Jesus, um, there's a present time and there's a future time. We need to know what's happening now. We need to know what's coming up, because I need to be ready, so do you. And let's just have a look at the present time according to this parable. There are two simultaneous crops. I'm holding this in the right place. I'll try and keep it there. There are two simultaneous crops. There's wheat and there's the weeds or the tares. The field is everybody in the world. It's the world. There's good seed, there's bad seed. The good seed is planted by the Son of Man, which is the name of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. That's the good seed. The bad seed is planted by the devil. Each stem containing the wheat or a weed represents an individual alive on the earth. Here's the point. Every person is either going one way or the other. Every person alive is either going, is going the direction where the wheat goes or they're going in the direction where the tares go. Or to put it another way, every person in the world belongs either to Jesus or to the devil, whether they realize that or acknowledge that or not. There's no in-betweens. There's no third way. So, for example, when the religious hierarchy in Israel were jealous and angry at Jesus about what he, the things he was saying, the miracles he was performing, he said to them, listen, you, lot, you don't... Listen to what I'm saying because you belong to your father, the devil. Now, these were high up religious leaders. So it doesn't matter if you're very religious or you're not religious. It doesn't matter if you're big or small, rich or poor. Whatever you are, listen, you're either in one of two camps. You're either in the wheat or you're in the tares. There's no in-between. So that's the present time and the, the wheat is growing side by side with the tares. But then the future time. So the future time is when the harvest is actually reaped and there are these two distinct destinies that are apparent from what we read. And uh, it says, as the weeds are pulled up, they're taken together, they're burnt in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. 
the end of the ages when life on earth finishes as we understand it and a whole new system is brought in. Uh, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will send out his angels and they'll weed out of the kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil, as we heard. And they'll throw them into the blazing furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is a metaphor for hell. Whereas the righteous, the wheat, will shine. And the righteous, they're righteous not because of their good goody-goodies, good people, but they're righteous because they've been made righteous by what Jesus did for us on the cross. But the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Now, when David, a few weeks ago, said, I think it'd be good to talk about harvest. Um, and then I got, it got to coming around to be my turn again. I, I, I was kind of, uh, heck. Um, because in church, we don't like to talk about anything negative. We like to talk about the positives. We like to talk about the love and the goodness of God. And that's so right and so good. But we kind of feel it sounds, if we talk about like a judgment coming or hell or heaven or that sort of, sort of thing, it feels a bit medieval. It kind of feels like, look, we don't want to give God a bad press. We want to put God in a good light. We, we don't want to be negative. And so I was slightly concerned when, when I was saying, is there another subject I can talk about here? But, but actually this is within the remit of what we're looking at on harvest. And I don't know if you've ever thought about the question, why do we need the gospel anyway? You know, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And the answer to that simply is that there is very, very, very seriously bad news for people who don't find the forgiveness and new life that there is in, are freely available for everyone who wants it in Jesus Christ. One of the most forgotten messages of the Bible is that we are, actually, according to 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Andy, Andy likes the verse. <laughs> One of the most forgotten messages of the Bible is that we're actually saved from the wrath of God. We have the gospel because it's appointed, Hebrews 9 and 27, it's appointed for man and woman to die once and then face judgment. Here's the thing. Oh, sorry, no. We have it as a, our, why we're here. Why, as a statement of why we're here, don't we say, well, our purpose as a church is to be kind to people and enjoy the goodness of God? Well, that'd be all right, wouldn't it? I mean, that, that's true. But we'd miss out on the vital thing that it's all about, which is, people being saved from the judgment of God and the wrath of God that's coming on the wicked. And nobody in this room and nobody in this world has to, has to face that at all. But it, it's within my remit, so I'm talking to you about it. The thing is, here's the point. If I'm dying of cancer, which I'm not, and nobody else in this room is, if I'm dying of cancer and I'm not, I want the truth from my doctor. I do not want to be fobbed off by somebody who knows exactly what my situation is, but is too scared or embarrassed or worried about the consequences to tell me. I want 
the pure, unadulterated truth. And I'm telling you this morning the truth. Anyway, well, that's just there. Look at somewhere else in the Bible. Let's just have a look somewhere else. Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 to 16. The two end-time harvests in Revelation. So we're in the, we're in the future now. <laughs> and uh, I want to read to you from, it's not on the screen, but there's a picture. Not that one, previous one. And uh, if you don't mind, thank you. Um, I looked, says John, the revelator, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. It says there there was a son of man, with, which is Jesus again, and a crown of gold. That crown is not a hereditary, a hereditary crown like our own Her Majesty the Queen wears, but it is a laurel wreath crown. And it's a crown that a victor wins in the Olympic Games. And Jesus won the battle over sin, death, and hell for you and me. For all who want it. He won the battle over judgment and the wrath of God. No one needs to suffer the wrath, the judgment of God. At all. <clears throat> and then uh, just the next few verses, Revelation 14, 17 to 20. There's a harvest of grapes. It's grapes instead of the tares here. But it's the same, same message. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel, who had charge of the fire, came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth and gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the wine press outside the city and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 180 miles. See why I was a bit trepidatious about speaking on this? Because it's not popular in a way. But, I, but we need to know the truth. And I'm not ashamed to stand before you and tell you the truth. But it does bring to mind another seldom mentioned significant theme of the Bible. And that is that of the fear of God. Now, I've got to confess to you here this morning. I've been a Christian, as I said the other week, for just over 40 years now. And during that time, I have never feared God. In the sense that we mean it ordinarily in life I'm scared stiff frightened I'm afraid never never once when God came into my when he forgave me my sins back in 1978 and I received the forgiveness of God and the Holy Spirit came into my life it's like it says in Romans 5 God poured his love and as Irene has been mentioning God poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. And all I, I was bathing in a bath of the love and acceptance and kindness 
of this wonderful heavenly father that had come into my life. Fear was a million miles away from that. In fact, you know, the Bible actually, strangely, well, not strangely, but funnily enough in what we're talking about, the Bible says perfect fear, perfect love, sorry, casts out fear. So how could I be afraid? Well, what does it actually, and that song that we sing, you know, the, the latest Bethel song, I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend. That's how I've known God. I will sing of the goodness of God. We sing about the love of God and the kindness of God, don't we? That's me. That's what I do. So what does it mean to fear God? Well, it means to understand that God has called us to live differently, to live a holy, a holy life. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, if anyone is in Christ or Christ is in them, he, she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. So the question, see we're in this time when the wheat is growing side by side with the tares. The judgment of God is ahead, it's not here. And we live in the grace of God with great opportunities for people to come to know the Lord. See one way it will affect you and I, if you believe in the judgment of God and the wrath of God which is coming upon all people on the earth, who are not saved. It will affect how you view your neighbour down the road. It will affect how you view other people. And as David was sharing last week, I don't think there can't help but be a compassion and a concern rise in our hearts for our neighbour, for our unsaved family member. It was said of the famous evangelist Billy Sunday who was a bit of a forerunner before Billy Graham in the 19, uh, very early 1900s one day he was seen on a top story floor looking out the window down in New York at the crowds mulling below and he started to make funny noises sort of groaning and so he said afterwards said Billy what, what was going on there you're looking down you're making these funny noises what's going on he said oh sorry <laughs> I was just caught up, just looking at all the people below, milling about, lost. Don't know the Lord. They don't know the salvation that there is in Jesus. And so we can have, if we fear God, we'll have certain attitudes. You see, somebody could say, well, you know what? I don't think God minds if I sleep with my girlfriend think God minds about that what I'd say to that is well do you fear God because living in the light of what God has shared with us from the Bible it's clear from God's word that the wonderful gift the wonderful blessing of sexual union between a man and a woman is meant to take place exclusively within the context of a committed, married relationship. Do you fear God or not? <laughs> Somebody else might say, it doesn't matter if I lie. Actually, lying can be quite helpful. Gets me out of a scrape or two, especially if it's just a white lie. Well, I would say to that, I think God's got an opinion on that, actually. <laughs> Because 
in the Bible it's quite clear, don't lie to one another, but just speak the truth. Just say what's true. In fact, it goes further because Jesus said about the devil that he's a liar and the father of lies. Are you really saying, if it's okay to live a life of lying and deception, that, that you're happy to be aligned with the trajectory, the destiny of the devil? Do you fear God or not? Now look, we all make mistakes. Have you ever made a mistake? Even as a Christian? Hand up, me. No, sorry, I didn't mean you. I mean, I'm, I'm saying I'm putting my hand up. <laughs> I should have said, sit on your, sit on your hands. Sorry. <laughs> I'm saying I have. So you could be in a situation where, have you ever, and don't put your hands up, sit on your hands, okay? Right, right, right. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody has said something to you, a bit left field, you weren't expecting it, for, for fear of looking an idiot or being embarrassed or whatever, something tumbles out of your mouth and you realise, I've just told them a blind lie. That has happened to me. And you go, oh no, blast, I've, I've lied. And you, you hate it, you don't want to do that because, because we want to live how God wants us to be. And it could be that you have to go up to that person and say something like a famous politician who said, I'm really sorry, I've, I've actually been a bit economical with the truth here and uh, th this is actually what I mean. Could mean that. At the very least, it's saying, God, I'm sorry, I don't want to do that. And please help me not to be in a situation where that happens again. But do you know what? There's an ocean of difference between that attitude and somebody who says, don't matter if you lie. What's that matter? Can be helpful. Can't. Well, it could. But in the long run, it's not. My question is, do you fear God? Because if you fear God, it means to understand that God has called us to live differently, to live a holy life. And somebody else might say, well, it's, it's all right, nicking, not nicking something, but just taking something, wouldn't call it nicking it, taking something, say a roll of sellotape from work. After all, the office ordered over the amount they needed and everybody does it. What's wrong with that? I say, well, actually God's got an opinion on that. He's got an expressed will on that. And actually, if you didn't get the permission of the person who actually owns it, it's theft. Theft. And, it's, you know, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Do not, thou shalt not steal. Right, ever done anything? Hands under, hands under your legs. Have you ever done anything? Right. So, I told you the story about me, where... I was walking in Ashby Femby in Brigsley, somewhere like that. There's a tree falling down over, over a pond. And uh, oh, I really fancy that tree. Burn well in my wood burner. And uh, I asked, find the permission, went to the house of the, this rich person and went and got the wood. Well, while I was there, in her field, right next door, with a little passageway into that field, there were even better logs lined up really quite close to where that was. And I thought, she wouldn't mind if I have a few of them as well. So I just go, go home with all that. And then the conscience clicks in. I didn't directly get her permission for that. I just assumed that she'd be okay with that. And then there followed several months of me waking up in the middle of the night and thinking, I need to do something like that. And I didn't touch it. Eventually, 
I eventually found, found the number because I'd lost it and everything. I went to a house, but I found a number, rang her up. So I'm sorry, while I was there, I got that. But also, I didn't actually ask you permission. I'm sorry, do you want the wood back? And she said, ah, it's all right. It's fine, you can have it. <laughs> but the thing is, true repentance, true being sorry, true living in the fear of God, he's saying, well, if I sin, I want to stop myself doing it again because I'm, I'm, I mean it. Guess what? Can I give you an update on this? Because the other day I was walking in our village of Laceby and uh, I was walking past a, a certain uh, industrial place and I noticed there had been a tree not chopped down. And it's been there for quite a while. And it's great because it's all cut up nicely and all the twigs are off and everything. And I thought, that'd be great. And I mentioned this to Andy Dipper. I said, oh, I've got seen this tree, you know, and all that. Anyway, and uh, so, so what I'll do, I'll, I'll go to the garage next door and see if they'll let me have it. So I went in, the bloke says... No, no, it's uh, Scott's own it. You'll have to get in touch with them. But, mate, just take it. Just take it, mate. Just don't worry about that. I thought, I have learnt. I have learnt my lesson, and I am not going down that route. And so I rang Scott's up, and, I said, and the lady there said, yeah, oh, okay, I understand what you're saying. Well, just send us an email. We'll send it off to the owners and let you know. And so I thought, okay. So anyway, a couple of days later, I went by the same little passageway, because you can't see it from the road or the wood, and <laughs> this little passageway where I've been walking. And guess what? It's gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't Andy either, because I told him about it. It had gone, and my heart sank. And I thought, oh, if only I'd been bit like I used to be, bit of a crook, you know, and sort of, you know, just take it. And, uh, but actually I thought, and so what's happened is someone in the garage, either the guy I spoke to asking permission or somebody he knew had told him and said, some sucker's going to get in touch with Scots, you know, to see if he can get permission, just get in there and get it, you know. And uh, so, so, but I just reflect, I thought, oh, I've missed that, it's really good wood that I could have shared with Andy Dippo. But, <laughs> but, but then I thought, I've learned. I've triumphed. I would rather lose all the wood in the world and be honest. And somebody said, and I think it's true, you know, somebody said, it was Roger Forster, a guy called Roger Forster, he said, you know what? As far as truth's concerned, it's better to tell the truth and lose your job. You know, it, it's that much of a commitment to walking in the line. So my point is, and I'm closing, that there is a future coming up. But if you're in Christ, the judgment of God is not for you in that sense. And uh, so I wonder if the, the music team, music group could come back. And, uh, and we're going to just sing a closing thing but I would I would just like to pray uh, as I just close and I wonder if you'd be able to stand again and uh, and I would just like to ask this question are you are you living your life in the fear of God or not I didn't ask do you never make mistakes? Are you a goody-goody walk around and everybody comments about the halo that's on your head? 
I'm asking you, are you living in the fear of God? In other words, are you living in light of how Jesus says he wants us to live? Because that is the destination of the wheat. That is the destination. That's the harvest. That's the place we're headed. And I don't want to treat the grace of God with disdain or contempt. It's a serious thing, this. <laughs> but nobody has to face the wrath or judgment of God. So let, let me pray. So Heavenly Father, I just uh, want to thank you uh, that you are a wonderfully good God. And uh, uh, you, you have made a way for each one of us to know you and to be saved from hell and to be saved from judgment. And I just pray for each of my friends here this morning, Lord, God, for each one, that each of us would know with assurance in our heart that we've passed from darkness to light and we've passed from one destiny to a much better destiny. And so I just commit these people to you in Jesus' name. And I just wonder who you might like to receive from the Lord today. Could be you're here this morning, you say, I want what Jesus has paid for on the cross. I want the new life that you lot seem to have and I don't seem to have it yet. I want to know my sins are forgiven and that my address is in the bundle with the wheat to the kingdom of heaven where the righteous shine like the sun. I want to know that. And if you want to know that now, just while every eye is closed in here this morning, I want to pray for you now. I don't want to miss this moment. And I'm asking you to put your hand up. If you're saying, I don't want that on my life, I just want to pray for you while every eye is closed. Is there anybody in here right now who is saying, I want to be a follower? Okay, thank you. Father, I just ask you for this person that, Lord, that, that, Lord, that you will bring the reality of your life into their life now. And then, if you are here today and uh, you've, you've, actually, you've actually been going where you shouldn't go, you've actually been doing things that really you know, nobody's told you, but you just know in yourself, you feel unclean. You've not been living in the fear of God 100%. I just want to invite you, you don't have to put your hand up, but I'd just like to invite you. Will you commit? Say, I want to be holy, Lord, like you are holy. you're saying that, let's just say.